This is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Lex Kibernetica. Hundreds of Palestinians have been arrested in Israel since the terror wave of September 2015 reports Haaretz. Some of them were uh, detained based on information gathered from social media that was used to profile them as lone wolf attackers. We've seen pre-crime uh, assessments in uh, polices over the world as well. And the question is, how accurate is this information? And is it a breach of human rights? It is summer 2018, and this is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. In this episode, we will be discussing terrorism, predictive profiling, and human rights with our esteemed guests. Lila Margalit, former attorney in charge of terrorism and human rights and criminal justice issues at the Association for Civil Rights in Israel, um, and currently a researcher at the Israel Democracy Institute. Eli Bachar, a former head of the legal division in the Israeli Security Agency, and now I'm a researcher at the Israeli Democracy Institute. Dr. Simon Perry from Hebrew University, the Department of Law and uh, School of Criminology. And I'm your host, Ido Keinan. Tell us about your research, uh, Dr. Perry. My research is done with uh, Professor Badi Hassisi, the head of the Institute of Criminology in Hebrew University, and it's financed by Horizon 2020. And in that study, we try to uh, learn about what we could know ahead of time about people that could carry out terrorist attacks. Um, the big challenge in lone wolf attacks is in comparison to organizational terrorism, that in organizational terrorism, uh, there are a lot of ways that security agencies and law enforcement organizations can find ahead of time information about uh, plans and attack to come uh, using uh, various uh, intelligence uh, capabilities. And um, in lone wolf attacks, we face a situation that it's very complicated to gather ahead of time intelligence and know who is going to actually carry a terrorist attack. Because it is not uh, organized and planned and has no hierarchy. It's just a person that one day decides, I'm going to um, try and murder people. Exactly. In organizational uh, terrorism, mostly you have communication routes. So you can actually uh, route into these communication routes, uh, gather in, uh, intelligence, uh, use wiretaps, uh, uh, run informants, etc. With lone wolf attackers, it's not organizational. So many times you can't carry out these intelligence activities and the threat of uh, lone wolf attacks has increased uh, in the last decades in Israel and in Europe and we tried to find out a way to uh, ahead of time know who might become a lone terrorist and the big challenge is actually making a definition between people that have radical uh, ideas which is totally legal you can't stop anyone from having his ideas and everyone can think whatever he wants and actually differentiate between those who have radical ideas and not planning and will not carry out a terrorist attack and those terrorists that are radical and will carry out terrorist attacks so basically uh, you're trying to uh, uh, in our study, we are trying to prevent false positive. A false positive would be uh, somebody who was arrested but didn't actually plan to uh, exactly. commence uh, an attack. 
exactly, because most people or most people with radical uh, ideas are not going to carry out an attack. It's just a minority of those people that have radical ideas that will end up in attacking. So you have here a situation that you have to, on one hand, protect society, and on the other hand, you have to protect human rights, and you have to find some kind of a balance to, uh, uh, to deal with the threat without uh, causing a lot of harm. Because you have to remember, when you harass someone that has radical ideas but was not planning to, uh, to attack, you're doing two bad things. A, you are hurting his human rights, and on the other hand, you are actually making more radical, and actually you can push him to do a, a, a terrorist attack. So actually, that will be counterproductive. How do you define radical ideas? What is the subset of people who are defined as people with radical ideas? So actually, um, there are different levels of radical ideas, but basically, uh, uh, radical ideas is people who support Uh, violence activity, but actually are not carrying themselves violence activity. So how did you build your data set? We went back to criminology, and we went back to the theories of criminology, and we wanted to see uh, basically what does criminology predict about this uh, question. And we went back to uh, uh, theories of social learning and differentiation associations, and we came up and said, okay, what is the difference between the cyber area and real life? So in real life, people become criminals or terrorists because of associations with other people. They learn uh, uh, ideas, they learn how to attack um, And uh, we try to see what is the difference between actually the cyber environment and real life. And uh, we uh, went and drew some um, uh, lines that we think that there are similarities between uh, the two environments. And we try to test these uh, hypotheses uh, uh, through a study that we did, which went and uh, took 45 people that carried out terrorist attack and had social media. We went back to the social media of these 45 individuals and we downloaded the Facebook two years backwards. You have to remember that all this is open in the internet. So actually these people, mostly, by the way, lone terrorist attacks, are interested in the exposure. So they open everything. It's not like organizational terrorists that are very involved in, in hiding the activity. Lone wolves mostly actually expose ahead of time the activity. So we went and we downloaded two years uh, of uh, Facebook activity of these 45 individuals that carried out a terrorist attack. And we went uh, as, as one group and we went to a control group, which is actually the peers of these 45 people. From each individual, we took two peers that are very similar in the ideas, very similar in age, in the environment. The only difference is that these Uh, 90 individuals did not carry out a terrorist attack, hopefully will not carry out a terrorist attack. We wanted to check out what would be the difference between those 45 individuals that carried out terrorist attack and compare them to those 90 friends of theirs that are very similar in every other uh, um, um, aspect and uh, to see uh, uh, what we can learn from these differences. What were the uh, unique characteristics you find of terrorist attackers? The study is still going on. 
But I will say that we, we have found some significant differences that could help us actually predict who would be a radical that will carry out a terrorist attack. And the differences are in the kind of posts they share, uh, the amounts of posts a day. Uh, uh, do they write themselves posts or do they share posts that have been written by others? Uh, the differentiation association of the individuals, we found out that people that carried out terrorist attacks have much more significant differentiation differentiation associations with people that have carried out terrorist attacks in the past, basically close friends or family, and uh, how they deal with original uh, video posts. You talked about the issue of false positives, um, and you defined it as individuals who might be arrested who would not have gone on to carry out terrorist attacks. But I wonder within the parameters of your research, what is the rate of false positive or the expected rate of false positive of individuals who would be identified by your research as likely to commit terrorist attacks, but who in fact would not commit terrorist attacks? We did not check that, but by definition, every individual that has a radical uh, view or, or posting in the internet according to what I understand from what is happening in the world, could be arrested or could be dealt by law enforcement and security agencies. And we are trying to prevent that. We are trying to allow the security agencies and, and law enforcement to, to focus on individuals not based only on the radicals' ideas, but extra uh, variables that we are looking for, and I think we have found some, to make the prediction more uh, accurate. Laila, this research and researches like it uh, are supposed to lower the number of false arrests and help uh, prevent crimes uh, before they happen rather than uh, deal with them after they happen. But you do see a lot of um, human rights issues with this. So obviously, from a human rights perspective, there's tremendous value to the ability to anticipate and prevent future terrorist attacks, um, and certainly to differentiate individuals who simply uh, express opinions uh, that may be radical from people who may actually go on to become terrorists. But at the same time, any attempt to predict uh, future behavior or to infer individuals' characteristics or personality traits from online activity poses some very basic dilemmas. Um, first of all, on the most fundamental level, the very notion that we as a society can take the liberty to predict what individuals will do in the future um, undermines one of the most basic assumptions of a free and democratic society, that individuals are presumed to be autonomous, free moral agents who are both um, responsible for their actions and able to choose at any given time uh, how they want to behave and what they want to do. Um, and also the fundamental principle that people shouldn't be treated as criminals unless they themselves have done something to justify uh, such treatment. Um, and then, of course, all the various enforcement actions that can flow from such predictions can have far-reaching implications for the protection of human rights. We will probably not get to see the algorithms that make those decisions because exposing them would allow people to manipulate them. So in a sense, we are um, arresting or... Um, uh, interrogating people based on a black box in in the sense of the of the public uh, scrutiny right there's a very serious transparency problem and I think there's a very important distinction to be made between 
attempts to predict future behavior based on the contents of a person's um, actual statements, a post, for example, where somebody leaves their last will and testament um, and proclaims their intention to go out and commit a terrorist attack. Or, for example, as we saw with the Florida uh, school shooting, where the perpetrator had left a very disturbing trail of social media posts in the months leading up to um, to the event, where he sh- he shared uh, photos with very violent content. Um, but when we base prediction on statistical analysis or on predictive algorithms that basically take information that on its face is not informative and that the person doesn't choose to share, um, I think we take the, the human rights questions to a whole nother level. Besides the obvious uh, human rights um, breaches uh, with this system, what are the problems uh, in predicting somebody will... Um, commit a crime and uh, working upon that uh, assumption? Usually in a democratic society, the fundamental assumption is that we wait for somebody to commit a crime before we take action against them. Um, there are cases in which we deviate from that principle, but we do so with great caution. Um, to give one example, uh, legislation in Israel currently allows dangerous assessments to be Um, conducted on sex offenders, but only once they have already committed a crime. In pretrial detention, we also conduct dangerousness assessments, but that's after the prosecution and the court has found that there is sufficient evidence, um, prima facie, to uh, prove a person's guilt. It's true that in, in Israel we have, for example, administrative detention and preventive detention um, based on assessments of future dangerousness, but these two are usually based on some sort of usually secret evidence regarding um, actions which have been attributed um, to the individual. I, I think that in most democratic countries, but surely in Israel, the first um, mission of law enforcement is not stopping after uh, something happened, but prevention of crime. According to the law in Israel and most countries in the West, The first mission of the police is preventing crime. Because I agree that human rights is a very important element, and a major part of human rights is allowing one to live in safety. And uh, you have to always weigh uh, the, the two uh, uh, elements, one providing safety for your citizens, and the other protecting the rights of people. And you always have to weigh the two uh, elements. And I actually think that in a democratic country, the most important institution to do that in, in the issue of uh, crime is uh, intelligence that is well controlled and regulated. Because when you have intelligence that is well controlled and regulated, by the way, the intelligence activity, for example, of the ISA in Israel is regulated by law. That is to prevent and to take uh, uh, care of the safety of the citizens. Of course, it's regulated, so they don't overdo and do stuff that is actually not effective in protecting people, but is uh, harming human rights. So you always have to weigh the two. It's not one or the other. Ellie? I believe that there is a huge difference between... Uh The expectations of the society of policing law enforcement and uh, security you know that uh, usually uh, things measures that are given to the uh, vis-a-vis um, security problems are 
different and you said preventive uh, administrative uh, detention for example this is something that only you can only use for security reasons you cannot go and take a criminal in a preventive detention and uh, this difference in the way that the society looks at the threats that it faces uh, it's relevant to our discussion too meaning maybe your uh, your point regarding the risk of violating human rights uh, has more weight when it comes to criminals but it's totally different and the, the society looks at it differently when it comes to uh, security threats meaning when you know that there is an al-qaeda or isis uh, uh, this, this kind of organization they really push their people to act as lone wolves, not to take any orders from any center or command. So this this reality, if you want to, to face it and you want to struggle with it, you have to dig these exact uh, examples of people who take these ideas and push them forward. Um, but as Simon said, the, the big thing is here is how to minimize the false negative uh, clues that you get if you for example if you go to the islamic um, uh, talks or islamic groups then you you can easily find yourself in huge amount of uh, signals that are coming Uh, from many many groups that are using uh, Islamic even extreme Islamic terms so the one thing that you have to see is how accurate you do it and one thing I want to say you never arrest people just because there is something went out from the internet there are many many other measures of security forces to collect information and to see that the guy that you came up from the web is the right guy that you want to take measures Uh, against and not just run and arrest. This is not the way uh, organizations like this act. Simon, you actually uh, claim that your research may lead to um, a diminishing uh, breach of human rights because less people will be falsely investigated and arrested. Yeah, that for sure is the idea. A, and the most important one is actually to protect human rights. And B, to make sure that uh, law enforcement and intelligence uh, organizations don't waste time on people's ideas, but actually can focus on people's uh, intentions to act. Laila, there is a problem with uh, pre-crime uh, prediction because of the focus we put on people we predict are going to be criminals or terrorists in this case. Well, one of the dangers is the focusing of law enforcement or security resources on Um, or surveillance on groups of people, uh, making it more likely that um, offenses committed by them will be discovered as opposed to other people who have not been subjected to the same kind of surveillance. Um, and particularly in the terrorism context where incitement offenses tend to be extremely broad, granting uh, the prosecution tremendous discretion in deciding uh, who to investigate and who to prosecute. Um, the idea that enforcement will be led by profiling based on information which, despite its predictive potential, has to have a very significant element of false positives, um, raises a significant issue. The article uh, which you referenced in the start of the podcast um, about the arrest taking place in the West Bank, um, I think is a case in point where people were arrested based, um, among other things, on the geographical location uh, where they live. 
And individuals who were caught up in this profiling were either tried for incitement, whereas other individuals who perhaps would not have been um, subject to this profiling were not. So this is a positive uh, feedback loop. Uh, we're looking into specific people. We find their crimes and then we say, look, our system worked because uh, the people we were looking at, the people we predicted would uh, um, uh, com commit crimes actually did. As you said, we actually have very little information on how these algorithms uh, work in practice, so we can really only speculate based on the little information which was reported in the press. But for example, um, in the United States, where predictive policing is used to focus resources on certain geographical locations, uh, the algorithms have been shown to um, precipitate and amplify uh, bias Uh, which exists already in police uh, uh, enforcement activities. So, for example, if police tend to uh, invest a lot of resources in a particular neighborhood, um, that data will then be fed into the system and will lead them to uh, invest even more resources in the same neighborhood. Ellie. I believe that the term profiling is misused here. Why? Because when we talk about profiling, we usually... talk about uh, discrimination based on race or ethnicity. And this is not the case when it goes to the cyber arena, which uses most of the time totally different um, um, terms that we look at, which are more connected to uh, radical ideas, to violent ideas, and this is, has nothing to do Uh, to which race or color or ethnicity uh, the guy you look for is uh, carrying with him. You don't know it usually at the cyber arena. So I believe that the, the threat assessment or other terms are more accurate in this case and not profiling, which comes from totally different set of uh, criteria and um, security measures which are not uh, applied here in accurate term. Simon, final words? We all agree that we have to protect our society from lone wolf terrorist attackers. And I think that the measures that we use uh, dealing with terrorism are different and should be different uh, from the terms that we use in regular crime. And I think that the cyber arena is problematic as far as incitement and pushing uh, people to carry out terrorist attacks. And we have to uh, deal with this uh, threat, uh, but we have to do it in a way that we minimize human rights uh, uh, abuse. And at the same time, we have to try and predict and stop those few individuals that will turn radical ideas into action. And our study uh, tries to learn something about how to go on and uh, do such a complicated um, activity. Yes, Ellie. Uh, we are in a week when Facebook is accused of uh, manipulating uh, millions and millions of people and targeting them uh, to manipulate uh, uh, elections in the U.S. And now we're dealing with, uh, with how we provide our security uh, forces to defend our, our society from attackers that are there, that the way that they act is... through the social media. And I think that, the, well, there are many issues here about mass surveillance and how you keep your privacy in the web and everything. But I think uh, that once the society is providing 
uh, and there is transparency not in the actual algorithm, but what is allowed for the security forces, which uh, uh, tools they can use, and uh, in what sense we minimize the Uh, the human rights issues are involved here. This is the right thing to do with uh, uh, controlling it and have a supervising and everything, which is always the right thing to do. Laila. Going back to the issue of transparency and how security services are regulated, in Israel in particular, the ISA has almost unlimited access to metadata and um, uh, internet use information Um, as long as it's not actual wiretapping without the need for a court order or for really any external um, approval. And given that that's the case, the potential for abuse when predictive algorithms are used in the security context uh, or in the law enforcement context to try and predict who will commit crimes in the future and to take action against them is very significant. And I think we're really only at the very beginning of a discussion, and I very much agree that preventing terrorism is crucial and saving human life is uh, a basic uh, human rights uh, requirement. Um, but at the same time, we're really at the very beginning of a discussion uh, where we don't really know what all the implications are and how this kind of uh, research or predictive uh, uh, abilities will be used in the future. Perhaps the most striking example of the kind of dystopian future that could await us as we go down uh, the path of predictive profiling is the social credit system being developed in China in cooperation between the government and the private sector, which seeks to assign each citizen uh, something called a trustworthiness score based on their online activity. Like a credit score, but for society. Exactly. And it can be based on the overt opinions or dissent, which they um, express uh, on social media. Or the aversion to curly fries. <laughs> right. A study from a few years ago demonstrated startling correlations between the kinds of things uh, we like on Facebook and various quite intimate personal traits or characteristics like uh, intelligence, sexual orientation, Uh, political leanings, etc. And what was so startling was that the correlations had nothing to do with the content of the materials users were interacting with. And researchers were able to infer a person's uh, sexual orientation from posts liked by individuals who had done nothing overt to share such information. Um, so, for example, homosexuality was correlated with liking the page Wicked the Musical and heterosexuality with liking uh, being confused after waking up from a nap. Low intelligence was statistically correlated with liking a page called I Love uh, Being a Mom, which I have to take uh, some issue with. Intelligence wasn't gauged by liking uh, pages on Einstein's theory of relativity or quantum physics, um, but rather, uh, as you said, with a page on curly fries. Yeah, we always knew that. Um, it's hard to think of a more random correlation uh, than that. I'll just remind all of us that uh, Facebook and Twitter cut off the uh, firehose access to a company that uh, collected information, data, about users in the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and transferred that information to police for uh, pre-criming, I guess. And I would like to thank uh, my guests. Thank you, uh, Dr. Simon Perry. Thank you very much. Eli Bacha. Thank you. And Laila Margalit. Thank you. Don't pre-crying, kids. I'm Ido Kainan. And see you in cyberspace. This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica. More episodes are available at the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.